from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. This is Sermons by the Park. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepard, and it's summertime here in New England, which means it's time for folks to get some time away, maybe down on the Cape or up in Maine or New Hampshire. Here at Union, we are getting away. We've made the move outside to worship under the oaks and the pines and the hickory trees in our outdoor sanctuary just inside Bird Park next to our church building. You are, of course, invited. In fact, you are more than welcome if you're in the area to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m. All we ask is that you bring your own chair, but we always keep a few extras on hand if you don't have one. And if you are away, you can worship with us from afar via live stream on Facebook at facebook.com slash churchbythepark. Our summer sermon series is called One Verse Wonders. These are messages drawn from the wisdom and inspiration of a single chosen verse of Scripture each Sunday. I'd encourage you not only to listen for the Word of God here, but to take each week's verse and maybe write it down and keep it in your pocket, or maybe memorize it so that you can call it to mind as you go about your day. You'd be amazed by how just a few words can open up a whole new world of possibilities. Here's this week's message. The scripture reading is from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Just then, in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy. And Jesus asked the lawyer and Pharisees, Is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. Then he said to them, If one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on the Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would stop to take your lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. But you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. May God add a blessing to the reading of the gospel. Well, throughout this summer, we have been in a sermon series I've called One Verse Wonders, which are 
verses that stick in our ears and in our minds that we can carry with us. And we've assembled quite the mixtape over this summer. Uh, we started with the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. That's a good one. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. And let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift. Well, this Sunday, we come to the last in this series, and this is the title track, I think. If we had to put a title track on this album of verses, it would be this one. And it comes to us from Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus, who said, it is better to give than to receive. I say this should be the title track because this is really the original one verse wonder. And we know that because this saying of Jesus, it is better to give than to receive, is not recorded anywhere in the Gospels. It doesn't appear in Matthew, it's not in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not in Luke, it's not in John, it's not anywhere in the Gospels. And the reason it's not anywhere in Gospels is because clearly it was so well known among the people that they didn't bother to write it down. You don't write down the things that you know by heart. And in this case, we find this saying of Jesus, it is better to give than to receive, in a speech by Paul recorded in Acts to the church at Ephesus. He is speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And just before this, he, he says to them, I commend you to God and to the message of God's grace, a message that is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. It's a similar theme that we see in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and so we see it recorded here in Acts. This is Paul's message to the church at Ephesus, to commend to them the message of grace that builds up and gives to the church the inheritance that they receive from God. And then right after that, he starts talking about the fact that while he was with them, he never took anything from the church. He worked, he uh, did his, earned his own money, earned his own keep. And so he then says to them, and in light of this, remember these words of our Lord Jesus. It is better to give than to receive. I think what this shows, what Paul is trying to show here, is that the message of grace that he is commending to them is inseparable from how the church should live, how the church should act. That the message of grace is inseparable from how the church lives that message. And we know that that is the case because the message of grace is inseparable from how Jesus lived. I want you to call to mind uh, a time when you were invited to someone's house for dinner. Maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a stranger. I just want you to remember in your mind what it's like to be invited to someone's house for dinner. I know I, for one, uh, was raised to believe that you do not show up for a dinner at someone's house empty-handed. You always have to bring something, whatever it is, whether it's something to drink, something to eat, even just flowers for the table, you better not show up empty-handed when you've been invited somewhere. And that's especially true when you're going 
to dine at someone's house who you don't really know. Maybe you got the invitation through a, another friend or something like that. And when you're at their house, of course, you want to be gracious to your host. You want to mind your P's and Q's. Maybe you don't bring up anything particularly controversial at the dinner table. Right? This is the normal pattern for how we have dinner with folks when we're invited. If that's the normal pattern, then Jesus may have possibly been the worst dinner guest in the history <laughs> of dinner guests. It's a funny thing in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is invited to dine at the house of a Pharisee. Not just this one time that we heard Pam read. Three times he dines at the house of a Pharisee. Three times he gets invited to come on the Sabbath and be with the Pharisees. Now, in that time, the practice of inviting someone to dine with you was a way of showing solidarity with them. The ultimate sort of symbol of togetherness, that you were all sort of on the same team and on the same side, was that you would eat together. And so it makes sense that the Pharisees, in their efforts to sort of figure out this character of Jesus, and also perhaps to control this rather uncontrollable character of Jesus, might invite him to dinner so that he might get on their side. But the Pharisees were not on Jesus' side, or at least Jesus was not on their side. He didn't believe what they believed, and he was not afraid to tell them. In fact, in his second dinner with the Pharisees, there's this long extended speech he gives where he says, Woe to you Pharisees who are so concerned with cleanliness and purity on the outside, but fail to uphold justice. Imagine saying that to the host of your dinner. In this case, too, right? Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee. Uh, they are watching him closely, it says. They were watching him closely. These Pharisees, they were curious about Jesus. They wanted to understand him, but they also wanted to control him. But Jesus doesn't seem to mind. Jesus shows up and Jesus just is himself. He brings his whole self to this dinner party and he does not hold back. He basically shows up and he says that they're doing everything wrong. This isn't how you throw a dinner party, he says. When you show up, you don't jockey for the place at the head of the table. You find the low place. And he says, if you're going to invite someone, you don't invite people who you can expect an invitation in return. You invite the people who will not return the invitation, the people who cannot return the invitation. Jesus is speaking here about a dinner party, a banquet, but of course he's also speaking about community, about solidarity, about who it is and how we should extend ourselves towards others. And basically what he's describing here is that a dinner party should be like a gift, a gift given. The French philosopher Jacques Derrida, uh, in, a, in a very roundabout way, describes the concept of a gift and says basically that a gift is something that is given without any expectation of something in return. That that is the nature of a gift. Derrida also says, though, that this idea of the gift is actually almost impossible to realize in our modern world because we are so used to the notion of exchange. 
that when you give someone a gift, you expect something in return. Whether that's something as simple as a thank you, recognition, acknowledgement that you have done something nice for them, or, or that you're actually expecting some sort of recompense, some sort of gift in return. The very notion of a gift exchange, like at, at work or, or even with your family, where everyone has to give something to someone, is anathema to this real idea that a gift is not about giving with an expectation of something in return. A gift that is truly a gift is given without any expectation. It requires no reciprocity, no return, no exchange, no debt. If the other gives me back or owes me or has to give me back what I gave him or her, that is not a gift. Very to this, the English theologian John Milbank adds that a gift has the quality of being surprising and unpredictable. The best gifts are always the ones you don't expect to get. And they're also the things you would never buy for yourself, right? Surprising, unpredictable. A real gift is given without expectation of exchange. It is surprising, and it is given to one who wouldn't expect to get it, one who is wholly other. One who is outside of the established relationships where giving of gifts is just par for the course. So when Jesus talks here about giving up the places of honor or giving a banquet, he's talking about this kind of giving, this kind of giving that does not expect or anticipate any particular outcome, but is giving for its own sake. Fundamentally, that is what the grace of God is. It's an interruption in the idea that we give and take with this notion that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of giving, of give and give with no thoughts to what we get in return. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be given to you. Now, I know you might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, it's not October it's not stewardship season. Why are we talking about giving? It's not Christmas. Why are we talking about gifts? We make a mistake, I think, when we only think about giving in the church in those terms of money or time. Things where we invest ourselves and expect some sort of return on that investment. Oftentimes, that is what stewardship is about, but stewardship is different, I think, from giving. Giving is something more fundamental. So what is it that we are invited to give in the church? Uh, a pastor and church consultant named Todd Bolsinger, he wrote a book called Canoeing in the Mountains, and he tells a story in that about this wealthy older couple that came to his church. They were uh, previously from another denomination. They didn't really know anything about uh, his denomination, but they, they liked the church. They liked the mission of the church, which was about proclaiming the kingdom of God to the unchurched. That was the mission of the church. But in a private meeting with the pastor, this older couple suggested that, having learned a little bit about their denomination that the church was a part of, that maybe people would be turned off from joining the church because the denomination was a little too liberal, a little too progressive. And so if he really wanted people like them to join his church, maybe they should think about changing denominations. 
And very calmly, Golsinger replied to them, you are not our mission. You are not our mission. Which was not what they wanted to hear. And not what they expected to hear. They were used to being the kind of important, influential people in a church who made suggestions that the pastor then followed. And they, of course, knew that he wanted them to join the church. They thought they had the leverage. But he said, you are not our mission. He went on to say, our mission is to be a community of disciples who proclaim and demonstrate the good news of Jesus Christ in every sector of society. We want to reach people for Jesus Christ. Our mission is not to help Christians move from one church to our church. You are not our mission. But, he said, I think God brought you here so that you would join our mission. I think God is calling you to join us in fulfilling this mission. In Romans chapter 12, after Paul has written for the previous 11 chapters about the grace of God, about how it is not bound up in a system of laws, of doing right so that you get rewarded, or doing wrong, being punished. No, that the gospel is really about the person of Jesus Christ who sacrificed himself for the remission of all sins so that all could have access to abundant life. After having explained this message of grace. In Romans 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the gift that we can give to the church. Most of all, we can give ourselves presenting our very bodies as a living sacrifice. It's not about giving more of what we have, but all of ourselves to the grace of God. I heard a pastor recently talk about this. He said that worship is fundamentally about sacrifice. You can go someplace and you can listen to a sermon. You can go someplace and you can sing some good songs and have a good time. But worship fundamentally involves a sacrifice. It involves bringing your whole self and allowing some of that to be given away. And allow for the possibility that in giving some part of yourself away, you will be changed. You will be transformed and renewed, as Paul goes on to say in that passage. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds to discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The gift God wants more than anything else in the world is not a bigger church. The gift God wants is not more programs. The gift God wants is us. The gift God wants is you, all of you. God wants our broken bodies, but not in some conditional manner. The reason we can give ourselves in this way to God is because God went first. Because God gave up God's own self for us. 
And that kind of giving is hard. It is a sacrifice. It is not the norm. But I think it's necessary in this time. I think the church as an institution is not dying because it asks too much of people. It's dying because it asks too little of people. I think I have asked too little of of you, of myself at times, because I sometimes worry about whether this sacrifice of giving ourselves to the life of the church is really going to be worth it. I, I think about the return on investment when I ask people to invest themselves here, but that's not the kind of thinking that this kind of giving should be about. We have to stop thinking about the church as a marketplace of souls and instead as a people on a mission where they are giving their lives to fulfill the purposes of God. And that means worshiping together, yes. It means sacrificing that comfort and ease and flexibility of maybe I'll go to church this day, maybe I won't. The thing about church is that it's not Burger King. You cannot have it your way here. Your way is not the way. And of course, this also then means giving God more of our attention beyond the church. It means giving God more of ourselves in prayer, in our day-to-day life, in the study of Scripture, to know and understand and discern the will of God there. It means giving more of ourselves to those who are genuinely different, to not always be trying to shake the trees so that any churched or formerly churched folks could fall out and maybe fall in here, but rather to find the people who have genuinely not heard or understood how deep the grace of God is, how great the love of God is, and how much we have to share in that love, and how it can renew your life. That is what the body of Christ thrives on. It thrives on this simple truth that was so well known to the early church, they didn't even bother to write it down. It is better to give than to receive. And the thing about that couple whom Todd Bolsinger spoke to so bluntly, they joined the church. They joined the church because they wanted to give, because they wanted to fulfill the mission, because they believed in the commitment of that congregation and the conviction of that congregation that the grace of God is more abundant and more loving and more open than anything we could ever ask for. And so I want that for this church too. I want this church to be a place where the mission is clear, where we're less concerned about whether or not any one program or any one event will return some sort of benefit to the church. I want this to be a place where we give for the sake of giving. A place of give and give, not give and take. Because that is the kind of love that builds up. And that is the message of grace that is the heart of the gospel. And so I can't say to whom we ought to direct this specifically here today. 
I can't say what the mission of this church will be. That is what the congregation of the church is supposed to do in this congregational church, discern who needs to hear this gospel, who we can reach. That is the work of the church as a whole. The body of Christ has many members, but it moves as one. But I will say this. When Jesus suggested his guest list for the great banquet he wanted to give, who did he name? The blind, the crippled, the poor, the lame. Jesus said he came to proclaim the good news to the oppressed. He came to proclaim release to the prisoner. He came to comfort the, those who mourn and bless those who are humble and meek. Those are the ones whom Jesus gave himself to. So perhaps those are the ones this church should give itself to. And so I appeal to you, friends, who know the depth of God's grace, who understand the mercies of God because you know it in your own life. I appeal to you to give yourselves as a holy and living sacrifice, for it is better to give than to receive. Thank you for listening. I hope this week's message has blessed you and that you got something out of it that you can take with you all along life's journey, wherever that may take you. If you want to learn more about Union Congregational Church, our life and ministry together, you can visit churchbythepark.org. Our theme music is Victim and Victor by RKVC. Until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you.